This morning we will continue on in our series on discipleship. So if you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, and when you find it, please stand with me as we read from God's holy word. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gersonet. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with him. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid from now on. You will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would use this word, your word, to speak clearly to us. That we might better understand the calling of discipleship that you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. At Southern Seminary, they have had this one particular slogan for the last several years. And this slogan, it, uh, it's on everything. I mean, every kind of documentation, every kind of poster that you can imagine. In fact, if you're on campus and you begin to walk around the campus, they have these light poles. And on each light pole is this banner. And on the banner, it says these words, we are serious. And it comes in a variety of types. We are serious about the gospel. We are serious about missions. We are serious about worship. We are serious about family ministry. We are serious about theology. And every time I go on campus and I see those, those signs, it makes me want to embody Heath Ledger's character in the dark night and say something to the effect of, why so serious, right? I just can't help it. But what are, what are they trying to say? What, what, what is the meaning behind of it? We're serious about the gospel, right? We're serious about worship. We're serious about theology. What are they saying? We care intensely about theology, right? We are focused on family ministry because we know that it's important. We are, we are serious. We are focused. We are intentional. We're deliberate about worship and missions. What they're saying is, We are very, very focused on these things. This is what we're serious about. And friends, when we come to 
the topic of discipleship as a church. We have to come to the conclusion. We might even hold up a sign that says we are serious when it comes to discipleship. It means something very, very important to us. So, friends, if we are going to go wherever Jesus leads, just like the old song says, if we're going to go wherever he leads, if we're going to follow him, if we're going to if we're going to enter through that narrow gate that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, if we're going to to walk down the narrow, hard path, the difficult path, then we're going to have to be serious about discipleship. We're going to have to be focused. We're going to have to be intentional about the way that we grow as followers of Jesus Christ. And in this story, we see the Apostle Peter being called as a disciple. Now, within this story, I think we will find six keys to understanding the calling of a disciple. So let's look at the first of these. The first of these is this. Discipleship doesn't always seem to make sense. Discipleship doesn't always seem to make sense. Now, look back at verse three there in chapter five. It says, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let's let the nets down for a catch. So Jesus looks at Peter, he's done teaching, and he tells Peter, let's go out to the deep part. Let's go out to the deep part, away from the land, away from the people. Let's go out into the deep. And what we find here is that Peter, he'd been fishing all night. He'd been fishing all night. And what we find is he hadn't caught a thing. He'd spent all of his night out there in the boat. And not a single fish was in the boat to show that he'd actually been out in that lake all night long. And, but Jesus says, let's go out into the deep part. Now, what's funny here is that as he, as he looks at Peter, Peter's the professional. Peter's the one that this is what his livelihood was. And he says, let's go out into the deep part. And Peter's thinking probably, why? Why in the world would we need to go out into the deep part? Why in the world do we need to go out and fish in the daytime? Why in the world do you want to do this? You are a carpenter for heaven's sakes. You don't know much about fishing, do you, Lord? You don't know much about the things about fishing and how we ought to catch fish and all the things that you have to think about and go into when you start to think about how to fish correctly. You're a carpenter and you're a teacher. Why do you want to go away from the land? You've got a crowd of people here that want to hear what you have to say. Why do you want to go out into the deep part? Well, the truth is Jesus at that moment was not really that concerned with fishing, was he? That moment, Jesus really wasn't that concerned even about the crowd there standing on the bank. Who was he concerned about? Peter. He wanted to speak to Peter. He wanted to show Peter. Sometimes Jesus tells us things or tells us to do things that sometimes don't seem to make that much sense to us. Just like Peter. In fact, when we read in the Gospels, just a few chapters later in chapter 14 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come up after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Whether he is enough to complete it. 
Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, he is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him and say, this man began to build and he was not able to finish. Or or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to to sin with 10,000 to meet this man who has come against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet on the way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you has, does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now, you read those things and you're just blown away by that. Those things really seem difficult, don't they? They don't really seem to make that much sense to us. I mean, here Jesus is saying that if you don't hate your own father, if you don't hate your own mother, if you don't hate your own children, you can't be his disciple. Wow. That doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? If you don't pick up your own tool of death, your own electric chair, your own cross, and walk after him in the way that he's going, you can't be a follower of his. Friends, it's not always about the act that's required. But it's about the response given. It's not always about the act that Jesus requires. But it's the response that you are willing to give in faithful obedience to God. So when we think about the things that we have going on in our life, we think about the Lord wants us to spend time in his word on a daily basis, doesn't he? The act itself, read the Bible, doesn't seem that difficult. Sometimes maybe it doesn't make sense. But he says, read the scriptures, be in the word, let the word of God affect your heart. It's not necessarily the act of legalizing whether or not we do it in the morning every single day, but it's the response given. It's the desire, it's the motivation behind the act of reading God's word on a daily basis. Serving one another in the nursery. Friends, it's not just the act of taking care of children, but it's the response that's behind the act. Are you going to care for the least of these? Are you going to assist parents in being able to to get into God's word and worship? Are you going to be able to help shape and transform these young lives? It's the response given, not just the act that's required. Whether or not you're going to be involved in a move group on Sunday nights. This is a very good thing to be involved in missions and evangelism, to, to reach out into the community, to reach out even to the ends of the earth for the sake of the gospel. But... It's not just the act of going to a move group. It's not just the act of being there at five o'clock on Sunday nights and talking about how this group is going to focus on this particular region or this particular group or this particular project. It's not just the act, but it is the response given. It's the response of your heart, whether it's memorizing scripture or whether it's something as big as sacrificing a vacation so that you can go on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the heart That's the issue. So when Jesus' call seems extreme, we must remember that many times the act itself is not the point. But rather it's our response to the call. The second key that we see is that discipleship entails obeying the word of Christ. Discipleship entails obeying the word of Jesus. Look at Peter's response there in the text. Now, is is Peter, when you look at that, is he just a simple, is he a robot? Or is he just like, you said to go out to the deep, we will go out to the deep. No, that's not at all how he responds, is it? He's not a robot. He's a person. He has thoughts. Does he doubt? Yes. He says, Master, we have been out there all night and we haven't caught a, a thing. 
We don't have nothing to show for it. But what's his response? What is his response? Obedience, isn't it? It's obedience. Look what he says in, in verse 5. He says, and says, and Simon answered him, Master, we have toiled. Now, is there a better word for work than that? We have toiled all night and taken in nothing. But at your word, we will let down the nets. Peter responds with faith. Now, notice how he addresses Jesus. He's not just a buddy. He's not just a friend. He's not even simply just a rabbi. But what does he call him? He calls him master. He says, master, we've done this all night long, but at your word, it's the the word of the master. Jesus is his master. He's the one that's speaking and has authority over his life. And Peter recognized that. But notice what else he does. He doesn't just recognize the fact that this is who Jesus is. But he also confesses something before Jesus, too, doesn't he? He confesses that he has some doubts. He has some concerns. He has some personality. He even has an opinion. But but what does he do? He affirms his trust, even through the doubts, even through the, the frustration of maybe having to go all the way back out into the into the sea. He, he, he expresses those things, yet he affirms his trust in Jesus by taking the boat out into the deep. This is what Peter does. So, friends, how do we respond when we receive those unique demands of discipleship? How do we respond? What is demanded of us? Well, just some of the things we just talked about. Taking up your cross daily and following after Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? He says, you need to live a life that is a life that is characterized by self-denial. A willingness to put this life, your person, your desires, your opinions, your dreams, your plans, all of that, put that to death. And instead, follow after Jesus Christ. That's a demand. That's a call on the life of a disciple. Radical kinds of love. When he says that you need to hate your father and your mother and your children. And if you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. What's he actually saying there? He's saying that the love that you have for me, the love that you have for Christ, ought to be so intense that if you were to take that love that you have for Jesus Christ and you were to put it next to the love that you have for your family or your children or your mom or your dad, if you were to put those two things in comparison, one would be so intense that it would make the other look like hatred. Friends, that's an intense love, isn't it? That's a radical call. How do we respond to that? Do we respond acknowledging, Lord, you are my master. You are the one who rules over me. You are the one who reigns in my life. Yet I have some doubts. I know my own heart. I know my own weaknesses. And I know the difficulty that it will be for me to live this out. But whatever you say, I'm going to do that. Is that our response? Do we submit our opinions, our plans, our life underneath the mastery of Jesus Christ? Sometimes the call doesn't seem to make sense to us. But obedience must be our response if we're going to be disciples. The third key to understanding the calling of a disciple is that discipleship often reaps surprising results. Discipleship often reaps surprising results. Look there at verse 6. It says, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. 
And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Well, that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, these boats were built for catching fish. And yet now they're catching so many fish that these boats are beginning to sink. And Peter finds himself overwhelmed. Why? Why does he find himself overwhelmed? Well, because it's not the right time to fish. This is crazy. Here he is. He's, he's getting all of these fish. It's not even the right time of day to go out and fish. And here Jesus has told him, go out into the deep. It's daytime. The reason that Peter was fishing at night is because it was better fishing at night than it was fishing in the day like he is. So he's overwhelmed by the catch of fish because it's the wrong time of day. He's overwhelmed by the fish because it's not even really the right place to fish out in the deep looking for these fish that they're, they're going after. And Peter, he was the one who was an expert, or so he thought. And Jesus, Jesus was actually the one who was an expert. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't just happen at convenient times. Oftentimes we'll be surprised about when discipleship takes place, when discipleship is best accomplished. Discipleship is not just something that we do in a classroom. Discipleship is not something that we just do. It's not just education where we learn facts about the Bible, where we learn uh, these rote memorized uh, tracks, or we, we do this particular thing. It's not just about education, but it's about life transformation. It happens when you live life with other people that are following after Jesus Christ. So when you encounter those times of trial, When you encounter those times where it seems as though your heart is about to rip out of your chest because of such devastating circumstances. It's in those times where you're bound together with other people that are going in the same direction to the celestial city, going to to heaven, seeking after Christ. It's during those times that we come together united. We encourage one another in discipleship. We help train one another by speaking the gospel to one another. It's in the times of trial. It's in the times when we are doubting, just like Peter was doubting. It's in the times when we're struggling with sin. And it seems like we're all alone, all by ourselves. It's those times that we have to open ourselves up and be able to allow other people to speak truth into our lives so that we can be redirected and placed back on the hard road, back through the narrow gate toward Christ. Even in times of loss. Oh, friends, discipleship. Is what God has called us to be a part of. And we have to be prepared for anything. We have to be prepared for anything. I think one of the things that keeps us from fully embracing this idea of discipleship. Most of the time it's the the, the lack of desire to actually expose our own vulnerabilities. Because in discipleship, we have to actually expose the fact that we are sinners. Every single one of us in here are sinners. And the truth is, not, not one of us would want the things that go through our mind, even this morning, to be placed up in front of this screen in front of everybody else. Right? Not one of us would say, yeah, I'd like to do that. I have no problem with that. No, the reason for that is because we're all sinners. And all of us want to hide away from other people's eyes. But that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. That's exactly where he wants you to be. He wants you to hide. He wants you to cloak yourself. He wants you to to get away from other people and their prying questions. 
Because it's only in the light that true growth can take place. It's just like a plant. A plant cannot grow if it has no light. In the same way, your spiritual life, your spiritual plant cannot grow if it is staying in the dark. You must expose the difficulties of sin in your own heart. And it's only through that time that you will be able to develop real, significant, deep relationship with other believers. When you know one another's struggle. And you, you, you come together in covenant and you love one another despite the struggle. And you fight together and you win together through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's through those times of discipleship that you will experience accelerated spiritual growth. Where the word of God begins to transform you and make you into a new person. The fourth key to understanding the calling of discipleship is this. Discipleship requires... A recognition of who Jesus is and who you are. Discipleship requires a recognition of who Jesus is and who you are. Look at verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter exposes his own tendency to doubt and distrust God. He says, go away from me, God. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I didn't trust you. I doubted you. I didn't believe you. I'm an unholy person. But when we think about Peter, it's not just Peter, is it? It's not just Peter. It's us, isn't it? What does the Bible say about us? Well, in Isaiah, this is what the scripture says. It says, all of us were like sheep who have gone astray. We've turned away everyone to his own way. We're like sheep. Going off in the direction that we want to go because we think it's the right direction. We've abandoned what God has sought for us. We've abandoned the word of God. And in our hearts, we want to do the things that we want to do. Aren't you like that? I am. In our heart, we want to do what we want to do. And we don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want anybody telling us this is right or this is wrong. We don't want anybody telling us what God thinks and how he ought to rule over our lives. In our natural flesh, we want to do whatever we want to do because we're all like sheep. We've gone astray. Isaiah goes on to say in chapter 59, he says, But your iniquities, your sin, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins... Have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So friends, that's our condition apart from Jesus Christ. We all want to do what we want to do. And because we want to do what we want to do, we have been separated from God because of our sin. This is what the Bible says of us. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we have hope. Paul in Colossians chapter 1, this is what he says about Jesus. He says, in Jesus All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, look at that. This is what the gospel is all about. This is what our hope is all about. It says, in in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What is he saying? Jesus is God. 
All of the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of, the, of, of God was placed within Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. And it's only through Him that we can be reconciled. So that separation that has taken place because of our sin and waywardness, the only way that we can be brought back into relationship with God is through the reconciliation that we find through Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can be reconciled is through the blood of His cross. The blood of His cross. It was the sacrifice that Jesus gave of himself on the cross that cleans us, that washes away our sin and makes us new people. It's only through him, Paul says, that we can be presented as holy and blameless. The Bible tells us very clearly what we're like. We're like sheep who've gone astray. We've gone the things that we wanted to do, but it tells us exactly what Jesus is like too, doesn't it? That he's the one that brings us back. He's the one that restores us and makes us new. Peter recognized who Jesus was. And he understood that that he himself was a sinner. He was a man of pride. He was a man who was self-righteous. He was a man who was unholy. But discipleship requires that all of us recognize who Jesus is. So that we have the right perspective about who we are as well. Jesus He is the perfect son of God. Jesus is the healer of your broken heart. Jesus is the lover of your soul. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the king who rules over our hearts. Friends, we must come to him in humility. We must recognize the greatness of God and the goodness of God. The fifth key to understanding the calling of discipleship is this. Discipleship. Is focused on a missional purpose. Discipleship is focused on a missional purpose. Now it might seem like the entire event of going out and fishing was merely a ruse to get Peter out into the boat. So that Jesus could do this miracle and and have Peter and all of the guys going, oh wow, that's amazing. But that wasn't the case at all. We, We see what the reason for all of this was in verse 10, don't we? Look what it says in verse 10. It says, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. What was going to be the driving purpose of Peter's life from this point forward? Fishing? No. From this point forward, everything in his life was now going to be redirected toward making disciples of Jesus Christ. Everything in his life was going to take on this shape. And so when we think about our lives, Jesus meets you where you are. He meets you out in the deep waters. He meets you in that job that you've been working at for years and years. And he injects purpose, eternal purpose into what you're doing. For Peter, he says, you're not going to catch fish anymore, but you're going to catch things. You're going to be catching men for the kingdom of Christ. What is it for you? When you look at your life, God, through Jesus Christ, is injecting eternal purpose into your life. So no longer are you just a mom or a dad who's trying to raise a family and do the best you can. No, you have an eternal purpose now. Your purpose is to to, to raise those children up to follow after Jesus Christ. To send them out into the world as missionaries for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If you're a worker at any, any job, 
Your purpose is not just to accomplish the job anymore. No, you're like a secret agent now for the kingdom of Christ. Every relationship that you have, every relationship that you build is focused on that one mission, making disciples of Jesus Christ. So you're conscious of what you're doing. You're living a life focused on making disciples. The reason that God has saved you is simple. He saved you to love him and to obey him. And the way that you demonstrate that you love him, well, it's simple too. You obey him. He calls you to love him and he expects you to love him. And the way that you demonstrate that you love him is by obeying him. In fact, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What are the commandments that Jesus has given? He's given us two major commandments. The, the, the one is, the first one is that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all your strength. And the second is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what is the greatest way in which you can love your neighbor? It's by making disciples. It's by making disciples. It's by telling them the story of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by explaining to them how it is that Jesus has affected you, how he's changed your life, how he's rescued you from an eternal hell, and he's given you hope and a purpose and an inheritance. The last command that Jesus gave to us was in Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Friends, we've been commanded to love the Lord. We've been commanded to love our neighbors. The greatest way that we can do that is by being obedient to the commandment to make disciples. The final key to understanding discipleship is discipleship demands self-sacrifice. Discipleship demands self-sacrifice. Look at verse 11. It says, About the disciples, when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Now, remember what I said earlier. It's not always about the act required, but the response given, right? It's not about necessarily the act, but it's about your heart. It's about your response. So you you have to ask your question, what is it in my life then that determines the extent of my discipleship? What am I placing in my life that is the limitation? What is the boundary markers for me? What is it that's keeping me from giving everything over to Christ? What is it? For many of you, it's your time. It's your time. You you, you don't want to spend the extra time to focus on discipleship. Maybe it's money. The desire for money or the, uh, the maintenance of money. But you want to keep the money. You want to have the same kind of life that you have. You want to enjoy that. And the only way that you can do that is by working more and more. And so as a result, you don't have any time for these other things, for discipleship, for Christ, for building relationships. Some of you, it's safety. Whether it's here, you don't want to be damaged. You don't want to be threatened emotionally. And so you you don't reach out to brothers and sisters. You don't become vulnerable. You want to be safe and secluded in your heart. Or maybe it's physical safety. You don't want to go on mission. You don't want to stretch yourself in discipleship and follow after Christ because you're afraid you might get hurt. 
You're afraid you might die. Maybe it's reputation. You don't want people to think badly of you. You don't want them to think that you're a Bible thumper for heaven's sakes. You don't want your reputation to be tarnished. Maybe you think that that becoming a, a disciple and giving up some of the things that will re- be required to give up in order to focus on discipleship. Maybe you're thinking that your happiness might be in jeopardy. All the things that you enjoy doing, all the free time, all of the, uh, the, the hangout times that you have with all of your friends or doing this or doing that. Maybe the happiness issue is what you're fearful of losing. Maybe it's status. Maybe it's that desire to hide yourself. You don't want people to really see you. You want to hide Maybe it's just the emotional investment. You're okay with being aloof from your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're okay being aloof from those who do not know Christ. You don't want to invest emotionally into other people. Friends, look at the disciples. The disciples left, it says, everything. That's not just that they left the nets. It's not just that they left the boats. They left everything when they went and followed Jesus. The boats and the nets, they weren't just commodities for their jobs. That was an inheritance. Those boats were probably passed on from Zebedee and Simon's father. Those boats were the livelihood of their family for a generation. Those boats were the things that were going to keep their families secure and safe and healthy. Those boats were critical to their lives. And the disciples are saying, we're going to give up the inheritance, and we're going to follow him. We're going to give up the security. We're going to give up even the safety of our family and the well-being of our family. We're going to lose everything, even respect from those around us. Do you think the other fishermen there on the shore were like, wow, I wish I could be like that. Man, that's amazing what they're doing. No. They were saying, man, these men are stupid. What are they doing? They're leaving their boats. They're leaving their nets. They're leaving their jobs. They're leaving everything. What fools are they? They lost respect from everybody to follow after Jesus. Discipleship demands self-sacrifice. So when we think about discipleship, what is it that you are in jeopardy of losing if you follow Jesus? If your answer is nothing. And friends, that's not discipleship. Let's pray.